John chapter 6 is where we're headed this morning, continuing believe in the gospel of John. Uh, this is good, good text today, just really, really good text. I know I say that every week, huh? It is, it's good, it's good. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. While you're finding John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1, by the way. Uh, we're going to put the key verse up, and if you can, read along with me. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, our key verse, it says, uh, read this real loud with me. I think it's, yep, there we go. Read it with me. Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. Yes, fantastic. So in John chapter 5, a previous chapter, Jesus challenged the long-held traditions and rules of the Jewish leaders. You remember the last section, there was a little butting of heads there. Jesus is teaching them. They're holding on to their rules and regulations. And uh, Jesus actually tells them, Moses is going to testify against you. We're going to come back to that at the end of the service. Jesus seems to be intentionally frustrating the traditional way of thinking in, in, at the end of John chapter 5. <clears throat> now, keep in mind that whenever John wrote this, he wouldn't have divided John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. He's writing this with the intentions of it all being read together and being a cohesive thought. And so I've told you in the past, I hate to break it into little pieces because then we tend to take stories out of their context and then we lose what they were really meant to, to be teaching us. So I'm going to try to put our story back into the context as much this morning as I possibly can. Here in John chapter 6, it begins with this endearing story. It's a story that demonstrates Jesus' availability to humanity. Get your brain around that for just half a second. This story demonstrates Jesus' availability to humanity. And simultaneously, it affirms that Jesus is fully God. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Oh, man, this is good. This is a story that's repeated regularly in Christianity. I assume that, it is, that this story specifically is in every single children's Bible. And every Sunday school class has studied this story. It is the story of Jesus miraculously feeding the 5,000. This is a story that we take out of the context of the Gospel of John, and we tell it as a children's story. We tell it as an endearing story. We tell it as, as a story about Jesus just feeding people. And I believe that we have lost uh, significant meaning by taking it out. So I'm going to explain myself here in a second. I'm going to get there. I will get there if you stay with me until the end. If I see you daydreaming, then I just will keep preaching. All right? <clears throat> Titled this this morning, King of the People, King of the People. While John is writing his gospel so that you and I will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and the divine King, John also keeps Jesus rooted in the reality of being human. You remember, in the prologue, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It is God coming in human skin to walk with humanity, to be with humanity, to rub shoulders with people. In Jesus, the God of all creation dwells among us in a very human, very personal, and very touchable way. And that's what we see in the story of John chapter 6, the first 15 verses where Jesus feeds the 5,000. So, first four verses is just going to set up, uh, it's the setting of the story, so I didn't give it a point, okay? We're just going to do the setting, and then we'll, then we'll get really rolling, right? So, look uh, with me to John chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. He says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd, everyone say huge crowd, kept following him wherever he went. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. They followed because they saw his miraculous signs. Then Jesus climbed a hill. Are you picturing this? Then, so they crossed over the far side of the Sea of Galilee. This crowd keeps following him around. Verse 3, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So you kind of got to get your, your mind's eye going here. You kind of imagine what's happening. Jesus has been teaching all day long. He's been healing people all day long. He's been with the people, and they've been taking from him. He's been ministering to them. It's getting late in the day, and probably everyone is a little tired and maybe a little hungry. I would have been. Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the disciples, they decide we're going to get away from the crowd, get away from the people who are pulling on us. And so they probably went a little bit north and a little bit west around the edge of the shore, the coast of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of, the Ga the sea of Galilee is only about five miles wide at its widest point. So it's, uh, the text doesn't tell us that they hopped in a boat and went far away. Uh, it it probably, probably more likely they just hiked around to get away from the, the people. A couple of miles, they, they hike around the edge of the sea, uh, maybe more, maybe less. He just doesn't tell us. Jesus sees a place. This is very important. Jesus sees a place up on a hill that is exactly what he's looking for. It's not random. The crowds have been following him, and he knows that they're going to show up pretty soon. We don't know how large the crowd is or the exact number yet. All that we know is that John tells us here in the setting, he tells us that it's a huge crowd. We're going to learn later on that it's 5,000 men plus women and children. So this isn't, you know, Hollywood thinks they have paparazzi problems. Right? Yeah, Jesus is trying to get away from a crowd of at least 5,000 men plus women and children who are following him around. In verse 4, John seems to randomly point out that this story happens close to Passover. John often throughout his gospel uses the Passover celebration as a reference for time. 
You remember the Passover celebration is when uh, the Jews celebrated the, the last of the plagues where God led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. The Passover was when they had to kill a lamb, put the blood of the doorpost, uh, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost so that the death angel would know to pass over that house and not kill the firstborn male in that home. John uses the Passover celebration as a, as a place to keep time. It's almost as if the Passover has some significance to the gospel story. Now we know the setting. Jesus and his disciples, they're sitting down on this hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee. I have not been there. Maybe one of these days I'll get to go there, but I have a feeling that it's a pretty spectacular place to be. They're sitting up on the hill looking over the sea. It's the end of a long day. It's time to take a deep breath and hang out with your buddies. I have a feeling that the disciples, because I would have been more like them than like Jesus, don't say amen right there. The disciples are getting comfortable, they're getting relaxed, they're settled in, and they're thinking, we have escaped the crowds. Now we have a little bit of peace and quiet for a moment. Okay? That gets us to point number one, no need too big. No need too big. Verse 5, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd. 5,000 men plus women and children, a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. <laughs> have you ever been in this situation where it's like, have you ever tried to, if you ever, have you ever avoided other people? I know maybe it's a, a matter of degree, but you ever go to Walmart or you're at Safeway and you see somebody you know, but you don't really want to have to talk to them? So, you know, you scoot around and go to the back counter and check out there and walk away all the way around the building to your car. I, I think that they would have, I think the disciples would have been like me. <laughs> Jesus, it is terrible. Alan's like, Britt, that is just terrible. <laughs> Jesus saw, he soon saw this huge crowd of people coming to look for him. They have been following him. All of these people needing, wanting something from Jesus. He's been teaching them. He's been healing them. He's been ministering to them. He's been dramatically touching their lives. And, and then they, they snuck away, and the crowd's going to follow him. And the disciples are like, man, are we ever going to get away from these people? And they all come following him up the hill about the time everybody's comfortable. Jesus says, hey, here comes the crowd. Turning to Philip, he asked. So I think I kind of messed this up in my notes. No, 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 I didn't. I just, I just interrupted the text in my notes. Turning to Philip, I love this. Are you picturing this? On the crowd, spectacular view. Up on the hill, spectacular view. Here comes a whole bunch of people. You thought you were going to get to relax. And Jesus turns to Philip. This is how we know God has a great sense of humor. Turning to Philip. He asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? <laughs> we already know Philip from chapter 1. Philip is a little bit uptight. Jesus calls him a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Philip is the kind of guy who should tell it like it is. He's kind of serious. He sees life pretty black and white. 
So Jesus says, hey, Philip, where do you think we can buy some food for all 5,000 plus people here? Verse 6 tells us, he was testing Philip. For he already, this is important, for he, Jesus, he already knew what he was going to do. Got your brain around that? Jesus wasn't asking Philip for a solution. Jesus was just messing with Philip to see what Philip would say. Philip has been with Jesus for a while now. Philip has seen the way that Jesus ministers to people. Philip has seen Jesus heal people. He has listened to to Jesus teach principles that are out of this world. So then he asks Philip, hey, Philip, where can we buy food for all these people? Philip replied. Do you get the, are you understanding where I'm at? Philip is familiar with the ministry of Jesus. So when Jesus asked him this question, I think that Jesus is hoping, but expecting. He's hoping for the right answer, but expecting, well, exactly what happened. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, We wouldn't have enough money to feed him. I have a feeling that Philip jumped off of his little rock where he was resting and he's waving his hands at Jesus. Jesus, this is a ludicrous question that you're asking. If all of us could work for an entire month or if we worked for months, we couldn't get enough money to go somewhere to buy food for this this whole group of people. Hey, Philip, where, where can we, where can you and I, you're involved in this too, where can we go buy some bread for all of these people? Philip gets all lights up. He points out the obvious. The obvious, Jesus, is we don't have enough money. We cannot feed them. Other translations, literal translation of this text is actually that it would take 200 silver coins. Now, I don't know what you keep in your sock drawer at home, but I don't have 200 silver coins, even in this day and age. Conservatively speaking, it would be about $10,000. And Philip's like, what? Where would we buy food? Are you serious? Jesus is asking, where can we buy bread for everyone? Philip is going nuts here. Did it not occur to Jesus to ask how we could feed these people? Or is there enough money for us to feed these people? Where is logically way down the line? This is nuts. Jesus has lost it. He's been in the sun way too long. Again, there is no possible way, even if we could say, answer the question where? Oh, uh, Jesus, there's a Burger King that's open a little late in Capernaum. All we have to do is run down there and and, uh, get it. There may be that delivery service if you have the app. We could just have them deliver it. No, how are you going to pay for it? It makes no sense. Jesus, you've lost your mind. But he was just testing Philip. You with me? He's just testing Philip. See, where is your faith? Jesus had no intentions of buying dinner for all these people. Are you with me? Jesus was testing Philip by asking that question. 
a ludicrous question. Jesus was not going to buy dinner for all these people. That is totally crazy. Jesus already had a plan to take care of these people. He wasn't going to buy them dinner. He was going to miraculously create dinner. See, y'all are not as entertained with that as I am. (laughs) Jesus, it's unreasonable for us to buy these people dinner. When you're walking with the Son of God, tell him, you can't buy this many people. You know what Jesus says? I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to show you what God does. Okay? So Jesus has already made a plan to take care of this crowd. He's going to, to perform a miracle to take care of it. He's going to prove that Philip's way of thinking is completely unreasonable. Jesus is going to prove, Jesus is going to prove there is no need too big. Are you with me? There's no need too big. Brent, we've heard the teaching of Jesus and the feeding the 5,000 before. This is pretty simple. Stay with me. Number two, no gift too small. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Are you imagining that? Andrew, hey, Jesus, I found this little kid. He's got a lunch. I'm bigger than he is. I can take it away from him. But I already looked in it, and he's only got five hamburger buns and two pieces of fish. We still are at an impossible situation. Philip and Andrew have been with Jesus all day long. They have been watching him. It's almost like Philip and Andrew have been raised in church. They know what they should believe. But then whenever it comes to that moment and you're tired and God says, why don't we do a miracle? And his followers go, what? You can't do a miracle. You can't feed 5,000 people. You can't do that. Philip and Andrew have been watching Jesus all day long. They watched him touch a little boy with an underdeveloped arm, and he was instantly miraculously healed. They watched Jesus put his hands over the face of an old man who was blind. And when Jesus removed his hand, the man exclaimed, I can see, I can see. They were there and they saw this happen. They saw Jesus speak to a young lady with a skin disease. And instantly she had perfect skin. Over and over, Philip and Andrew have seen Jesus. Over and over, Philip and Andrew have seen God. Miraculously heal people. Do you know why I stopped? Because we have this familiarity where it's just Jesus. 
We just walk with Jesus. And John is keeping Jesus human. He wants us to feel like we can walk up to Jesus and say, dude, I'm tired. I just want to sit down. And Jesus will say, I understand. Let's sit down. We want Jesus to be that familiar. John wants Jesus to be that familiar. But we cannot forget the fact that God left heaven, came to earth to dwell among men. And while he is touchable, while he is available and he's very personable, he is still God. So as a man, whenever he says, I'm going to do a miracle, it's not our opportunity to say, you can't do that. No, 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 no. He's done it over and over and over. Philip and Andrew had seen God not just Jesus. They had seen God miraculously heal people. All day Jesus has demonstrated his divine power that transcends the physical laws of nature here on this earth. He's shown that he doesn't work within the way we think. And so whenever he says, I'm going to feed the 5,000, Philip and Andrew go, can't do it. What? Jesus asked, is there any way we can feed these hungry people? There's a need here, guys. There's something that we need to help with. Is there any way you and I can feed 5,000 men plus women and children? Philip says, no, the need is too big. It is impossible. Andrew says, no, we only have a boy's lunch. We only have five hamburger buns and two fish. What we have is too small. I am trying my best not to jump to application. I'm assuming that you can do it. How many? I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Because I'm thinking of churches have a stereotype. There are stereotypes about churches. Whenever it comes time to do something grand for God, we go, but we can't do that. We don't have the money. We don't have the people. We don't have the right location. We don't have, and we go through all the things that we don't have, right? We lose sight. Even though we read the scriptures of a miraculous God, even though we believe in a miracle-working God, whenever it comes time for, to, to meet the need, we go, ah, our, our gift is too small. But in the story, we're seeing that no need too big, no gift too small. And then we get to number three, Jesus provides Get your mind going. Philip and Andrew, they're about to wet their pants because they can't do what Jesus asked them to do. Okay? I know I'm reading between the lines, but put yourself there. Jesus asks you to feed 5,000 people. You start figuring out how you can not do it. Verse 10, Jesus totally ignores these two geniuses. He loves them. I don't want to give the wrong impression here. He loves them. But he's about to teach them a life-changing lesson. Verse 10, after ignoring them, he says, Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the, where? On the grassy slopes. Was that by happenstance? 
Jesus, whenever he left the crowd earlier, he was walking around the coast of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are looking for a comfortable place to lay down and sleep. Jesus is looking for a great place to feed 5,000 people. A little different mentality. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks to God for what he had and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Hallelujah. Yeah, the only thing that would make this story better is if there was green chili involved, right? Amen. Philip thought the need is too big. Andrew thought the boy's gift that I stole from him is too small. Jesus ignores their limited way of thinking because... Here's why Jesus ignores the way we think. Because even before he asked Philip where, Jesus already knew exactly how he was going to feed them. Are you with me? Philip's all worried. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We can't do this. Philip, where, where are we going to get money to buy food for all these people? Oh my goodness, we can't do it, we can't do it. God is like, joke's on you, dude. I already got a plan for how. In fact, in fact, we are already where we need to be. Oh, there's a great lesson there. When we're freaking out, God's like, what? I've already, we're already halfway into my plan for what you need. While you're freaking about, out about what we can't do, I've already started my plan of perfecting you. Dude, that's good preaching. Larry, that's good. Your wife left you. I don't know what's going on over there. That's distracting. Larry's by himself. Jesus ignores their limited way of thinking because Jesus already has a plan. They're freaking out, and he's like, whatever, I got this. Before Jesus walked up this hill, he knew the grassy slopes were exactly where they needed to be. Before Jesus and his disciples saw this group, uh, the group of 5,000 people, 5,000 ragtag, needy people following them like a bunch of hungry puppies, Jesus knew exactly what these people that he desperately cares for, he knew what they needed. They hadn't even come and asked for something again. He just knows. It's that time of day people get hungry. Philip, we need to feed these people. Philip says, we can't. Andrew, we can't. Jesus says, shut up, you guys. I'll just take care of it. Before Andrew volunteered the boys' lunch, Jesus knew that he had a recipe for fish sandwiches that would feed 5,000 people plus. I have a feeling there was potato salad involved in that, right? (laughs) It's our experience here at Desert Heights. You buy one pint of potato salad, you can feed 200 people three or four times with that. Can you just appreciate the fact that Jesus has this all 
this, this whole situation, he has this all completely under control. It's not out of control. Philip's freaking out, but that's his own fault. Andrew is doubting, but that's his own fault. Jesus has got this. And the reason that it's written in this book is so that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 12. After everyone was full, we're driving home the point that everybody has eaten plenty, okay? After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now, you two geniuses, and all the rest of you guys, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Say this with me. After everyone was full. This is not a near-miss miracle, right? You ever been driving and that car's coming at you and you're like, Jesus, 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 and they almost hit you? That's a near-miss miracle. This is not a near-miss miracle. This is a miracle of excess. Five, don't look around for a second, okay? 5,000 fatties stuffed to capacity. Said, don't look around. Eyes forward. 5,000 fatties. You don't hear that in a sermon very often, but it just kind of rolls. It just kind of goes. I was feeling poetic this week. 5,000 men have eaten their full. They're all sitting around. Dude, that was good. Their wives. Y'all okay? We have to edit that out of the video. I see, I can read Thomas's mind. He's like, we got to clip that. We'll put that on the. No. 5,000 men, their very thin wives, have eaten everything that they want. Their little gassy children have eaten everything that they want. (laughs) See, I have your attention now. The crowd could not eat it all. They had to make to-go baskets. They didn't. Could we get a to-go box? No. We actually needed to-go basket. If you have a laundry basket that we could put our leftovers in, 12 of them, 12 baskets full were left over. Jesus divinely, excessively, and evidently deliciously provided. Do you see how Jesus provides? Because we even, even those of, of, of us that, uh, I'm going to speak, even those of us who have grown up in church, we have these moments where we're like, God, we need you to provide. And we have this expectation of God's provision as being just barely enough. And in this story, we see that Jesus extravagantly provides. It's fish sandwiches. It's not prime rib. But he still provides more than enough, Right? He takes care of his people. He sees their need. He takes care of them. No need too big. No gift too small. Jesus provides. Number four, he is king over all. And this is where the story kind of takes a turn because we don't usually put the rest of this text in with this story. Verses 14 and 15 are still part of the story. So when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, there was no doubt when they saw what happened, this was miraculous. They exclaimed, 
Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Now, who have the Jews been expecting? The Messiah, the Christ. Surely this is the prophet we've been expecting, the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, because that's what the Jews thought the Messiah would do, he would come up and set up his own government, his own kingdom. He would establish establish himself as king, and then he would rule over the Jews. He would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. That's what they thought he was going to do. So when Jesus saw that they were going to force him to be their king, because that's what they wanted, he slipped away into the hills by himself here's the deal this crowd of people people just like you and i people who think very much like you and i they recognized that jesus was the christ that the old testament the the christ that the old testament had been pointing to for thousands of years these common people who are following jesus around the desert they recognize jesus is the messiah in john chapter 5 the jewish leaders the people who were learned in the word of god in the scriptures they missed it you with me this group of people who were just hungry They had needs, and they come to Jesus trusting that he can meet their needs. They saw it. They were ready to make Jesus the king and usher in the kingdom of God, and it was going to be a great and wonderful day. They were excited. The people recognized Jesus as king. Part of the reason that they recognized him as king is because he was there with the people. He was rubbing shoulders with them, ministering to them, meeting the needs of everyday life. He was just there with the people, taking care of them. He's not the king far away in the castle. He's not God way far away in heaven. He's the king who walks with the people and sees their needs. And whenever he walks with them, whenever he's present, no matter what the situation is, there is no need too big. No gift too small. Jesus provided, watch this, and he has proved he is king over all. See, I told you I was feeling poetic this week. But hopefully you won't forget it now. The people followed. Jesus fed them. Jesus could not have been more a king of the people. Is he God? Yes. Is he Jesus? Yes. Is he divine and does miracles? Yes. Does he get frustrated sometimes and tired and need to rest on a rock like a human? Yes. He is a man, but he is also God. He is God come to you and I to be incredibly available to us, incredibly touchable to us, incredibly concerned for what our needs are. Now, I really do think that there's more to this story than simply Jesus healing and feeding people. I think that that's what's on the, that's what's, what, what we see first. Again, back at the end of chapter 5, Jesus is teaching the Jewish leaders. He's on their case for placing their hope in Moses and placing their hope in their ability to keep the law. And Jesus tells them that even Moses himself will accuse them before God the Father If they put their hope in Moses and keeping the law. Watch this. Just like Philip could not feed the 5,000, we cannot make ourselves righteous before God. 
There's a direct parallel here. Philip cannot feed 5,000. We cannot make ourselves righteous before God. We cannot earn our eternal life. No more than Philip could feed 5,000 people. It's an absurd idea. We can bring our gift of goodness, right? We do this every once in a while. We pray and we say, God, I didn't yell at my wife and kids today. That should be worth something. Uh-huh. We say, well, God, I, I went to church this week. I didn't swear at the person that made me angry. I, I actually was kind this week. I did something nice for somebody. And we bring our little gift, right? We bring our five loaves and two fishes when there's 5,000 people that need to be fed. We bring our little gift and it falls short, just like five loaves and two fishes fall short of feeding 5,000. Are you with me? Yeah. John is illustrating the enormity of our need and the insignificance of our contribution. The need is 5,000 people. Our contribution is our little lunch. However, however, there is a divine king who walked on this earth who later on in John chapter 6 Jesus is going to refer to himself. You realize he just, he just fed 5,000 people bread, right? Later on in chapter 6, Jesus is going to say, referring to himself, he's going to say, I am the bread of life. See, all these stories are plugged together. John did that. We can't separate them apart because there's, there's intentionality in putting them in the order that they are because Jesus feeds the 5,000. He meets the need, and then later on, he's going to say, I'm the bread of life. I can't wait to get that part of that, that text, but not today. There's a divine king in this story. He walked the earth. He walked the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He met with people who had needs of healing, needs of food. He met their needs. This is the divine king who every day for eternity past has measured out the waters of the oceans in the palm of his hands. Every evening, he's called the stars out by name, and every morning, the sun rises just as he said it to do. This is the divine king who provides you and I with food and clothing and shelter every single day. He brought you here today because... Hang on to your britches. Are you okay with that? The divine king brought you here today because he already knew what he was going to do to show you your incredible need for him, your incredible need to believe in him. Are you with me? Before you got here, God was already working things out in your life. Things go bad at home. Things go bad at work. And Jesus you know, that little whisper in our hearts. Jesus says, do you trust me to take care, of, take care of this situation for you? Well, God, I'm not too sure. I mean, this is an impossible situation. I don't think even God can fix this, right? I wrote this in a jingle 
so that you would remember. Because when you come to the impossible situation, as you walk along with the divine king and creator of heaven and earth, and you're too blind to see the fact that nothing is impossible, I hope that this little jingle will ring through your head when you meet the impossible, no need too big, no gift too small. Jesus provides. He is king over all. But Brent, you don't know how big the sin is in my life. I have sowed some sin in my life that is terrible and horrible and ugly. No need too big, no gift too small. Jesus provides. He is king over all. Brent, you don't know what kind of financial disaster my family is in. No need too big, no gift too small. Jesus provides. He is king over all. Brent, I've messed up my marriage. I've messed up my relationship with my kids. I have made a tragedy of my life. Well, you can be like the Jewish leaders and go back to the law of Moses and figure out how you can fix it. Or you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe there is no need too big, no gift too small. Jesus provides. He is king over all. Does that make sense? He is king over all. We see the circumstances as impossible. Jesus already knows what he is going to do. <laughs> I feel the tension because some of you are just like me. That's fine that Jesus knows what he's going to do. He hasn't told me what he's going to do. And until he tells me what he's going to do, I'm going to be Philip. I'm going to worry. I'm going to try to figure I'm going to be like Andrew and I'm going to go figure out a way to fill it, figure it out. And that's why point number three is just so incredibly important. Jesus is the one who provides. Cool your heels, Jack. You ain't going to do it. We see the lack of resources. Jesus already has a plan for divine provision. We see the need Jesus provides. While he is God over all, he is also king of the people. He is king of, hold on to your chair, you. What? Yeah, yeah. Jesus is king of you. He is king of your needs. Do you know that? Oh, Brent, this story's for a bunch of hungry people, a bunch of 5,000 fatties 2,000 years ago. No, it's not us. No, it is us. He is king of you. He is king of your needs. He is king of your gift. I'm not meaning to diminish your gift. Let's just not exalt your gift. We bring what we have to God. Although it is very small and insignificant, we bring our gift to God the Father and we say, Lord, here I am in all of my brokenness and in all of my misery and all of my failure. Here I am. And Jesus says, that's fine. We'll take your little lunch and I'll provide it and we'll make a miracle. It'll all be good. Jesus is king of you. He's king of your needs. He's king of your gift. He is your provider. He is king over your all. But what about, no. But there's this other, no. Well, sometimes, no. 
No. No, while you're worrying about the problem, God's already started on the solution on the other side. John wrote this so that we would trust in Jesus, so that we would believe in Jesus, so that we would stop sitting on our rock being like, I just don't want to be with people and I want to complain about all of the miserable, impossible things of life. John wrote this so that we can fix our eyes upon the fact that God left heaven to come to earth, to live as Jesus, so that we have the hope. No need too big, no gift too small. Jesus will provide. He is king over all. There's nothing in our lives that God, that Jesus himself cannot perform a miracle and absolutely change. We're going to take some time and pray uh, this morning. Um, Several of you I asked to come be at the front, be available. If you'd all stand with me, Thomas is going to lead us in a song. I don't know. You guys, I I know that there's just a random bunch of needs in our congregation. You know where you're at. You know what the impossible situation is in your family or in your personal life. You know where you're at, but you're staring down figuratively this 5,000 people and all you have is a little lunch. This morning, we want to pray with you. We want to pray. We want to thank God for what we have. Amen? And then we're going to pray and ask God to continue to do a miracle that he's already begun in our lives. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to pray. If you want to come to the front while I'm praying, that's great. If you want to wait until Thomas is singing, that's fine. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, we thank you for your abundant provision in our lives. Lord, I pray for every one of our hearts that we will not be like Philip and Andrew and only see the problem and the limitations of our own thinking. But Father, I pray that you will help us to see this world with your eyes. That we will be able to see that you do the impossible to reach the needs of your people. Lord, that you would help us to have hope in you so that we have the ability to touch people's lives in a miraculous way so that they will know that you, you alone, are the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. That in you we put our hope, we put our trust, and we get to live and be a part of your miraculous, glorious kingdom of God. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning. Transform our hearts. Transform the way we see this world. Help us to see through your eyes. God, be glorified in our lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.